0: You sure looking crafty. Crafty, crafty. You could make a raft out of pencils and foam. You sure looking happy. happy, happy. Hi. You stay. there? I am. Hello. Hello. And welcome to the switchcraft Podcast, episode number 17. I'm Island. This is Miranda. And we are trying a new recording technique. So please let us know if you like it, if it sounds better or worse to you. Um we are always endeavoring to improve mm-hmm. here at Stitchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, craft is a it's a uh what is it? Is it a state of being? It's perpetually in motion. One must work with it, work and always move with versus a steady source or a steady, stable thing. If you didn't, if people didn't craft, that means they would never get better. So here we are, we're crafting this podcast. Trying Ooh, to I like it. Ooh, deep, and I haven't had a meal in a while. Anyways, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's where I'm going with that one. Um, I'm kidding. Um, but yes, we're doing a midweek podcast recording, so I think that this will be a little interesting in the sense that for what's in our cup, I'm coming with you with a kombucha that I can't open because it will explode everywhere. <laughs> As what's in my cup. I'm just cutting to the tape right away. I've got nothing. <laughs> the kombucha is not uh drinkable right now? No, it's been undrinkable for two hours. It is refused to settle down. It is, oh. it is quite alive. It's extra ec- z. It is, ec- yeah, I I feel like there was a reason it was on sale it was about to go. <laughs> and I feel that I have lost I lost the deal here. It might have been cheap, but I paid with not ever being able to drink it without making a mess of myself. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I, I totally took all the fanfare out of uh, what's in your cup by doing, by just cutting to the taste and saying, I can't open this kombucha, but I'm just going to say that. I'll have to do, you know, something else. But um yeah, I thought the beauty of kombucha is that because it's fermented it never goes off. <laughs> I thought it was like you know, it's it's like um in the Game of Thrones, um what's what's already dead can't be killed or whatever the <laughs> Do you know why we're sorry, Dead can never be never, Yeah. It's uh is it the great the drowned god? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> dead could never be die could never die. Yeah. What is which yes, I mean, the yes. can never die, which I was just like. Something like uh, that. Also, like that is the drunkest thing I've ever heard. Because it, it really is. Cries. It's a it drunk. Really glass. is. Unacceptable. Yeah. Um, I'll say this: um, the uh, the the kombucha is the drink that will never be drank because it is it's a bottle rocket for two ninety nine at Target <laughs> that, I, <laughs> that I regret purchasing because I was like I'm smarter than everybody. Look at me get this two ninety nine kombucha. I should have known better. Anyway, so I've been looking at it pretty color for a while. And it's gonna remain in my cup island <laughs> as never in my body. So
1: Well, so is.
0: here I actually I actually heard something about that on another podcast that I really love that I actually don't know if it's still running. Um, but it was a podcast from the guys who are the um producers of This American Life. And the mm-hmm. podcast is called How to Do Everything. Yeah, um, and there was a an episode where somebody had called in to say that they always had this problem that when they were trying to drink root beer, every time they would open their root beer and put it into a cup, um, it would bubble over, and it was really frustrating because they really like this root beer and they're having a really hard time drinking it. Um, mm-hmm. And the advice was to get it very, very cold because then um it would not the the gas would contract instead of expand. So part of what makes it so extra bubbly is that um it's warmer and the air is expanding. And so if you get it extra cold, then the air won't want to expand quite as much. And you have to open it pretty quickly after you take it out of the cold, you know, the the, the place mm-hmm. that you put it, you know, the fridge, because the when you let it warm up again you're you're gonna have the same problem you had before. Well but That's no well, also, this is the, uh, is this a three-two-one contact moment or what is that? Uh, <laughs> or those <laughs> bloodhound gangs that are finding science crime. God, I um, love that show. <laughs> if this is, we've just solved the mystery of why this is taking two hours to get open because it's just gotten warmer and warmer and angrier and angrier. It is determined yeah. to fight my body. It's determined. Um, but now that makes a whole lot of sense. That is, oh, and as I say that, it's Let Me Open the... Ca- open sesame. Also, I heard I'm not allowed to say open sesame, and that might be a little direct so I apologize right now. Okay. Um, I just... I'm going to have my first sip of this kombucha. It's probably nice and warm, so get that. That's it's delicious. Ooh. <laughs> mm. tantric turmeric. I hate... I hate the names of... I hate the people who make kombucha and the names they provide. Ugh. turmeric. Ugh. Yeah. but is it delicious oh it is it's delicious i hate the name tantric turmeric why don't you just say ginger turmeric i got it done deal <laughs> let's do it tantric turmeric now i have to explain that to a child not necessary anyways um i've really monopolized what's in my cup i didn't even wait for you to ask me so i'm going to ask you though what's in your cup tonight uh so what i am so i have um. The best of all possible problems, which is that um, we went to part of the reason we're recording this heat is because this past weekend, Miranda and I went to Wisconsin for a family wedding, and therefore we were not able to record because we were spending time with family. Um, but as a result, um, Pat and I went through two of the breweries that were in that area and bought up a whole whole bunch of beer. And then when we got home, Pat pointed out that I have become a bit of a hoarder. Um so I've gone to, you know, local places around here and found things that I really liked and bought them and then just held on to them. And uh we don't really have a place to we're not uh, beer collectors or wine collectors. We don't have a lot of storage space that we dedicate to um liquor. Yeah. You know, we we mm-hmm. buy stuff that we like. We drink it, and if we don't have space for more, we tend not to buy more. Uh, The only exception to that is Pat's uh, remarkable uh, single malt scotch collection, (laughs) um, which does not get consumed quickly. Um, So, yeah, so when I buy beer, I put it in the fridge. And now we're in a position where he pointed out that the entire beer fridge, with the exception of some of the cans in the door, is mine. And it's all stuff that he does not like. And I, I knew damn well when I bought it that he didn't like it um, and wasn't going to drink it. So anyway, as part of my clean out the fridge campaign, um, I am having, <laughs> yeah, I know, it's a very tough job. And I just That's want you guys to campaign. know that I am, I am on the scene. I am willing to work for you. Um, so what I am having is, uh, from Odell Brewing Company, which is in Fort Collins, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Colorado. Right? Colorado. Good Lord. Um, (laughs) it's their Cellar Series, uh, from 2017, and it's called, um, and Prunus, and it is a pear and peach sour aged in oak barrels. Ooh. So, uh, it's really nice. Um. It sort of smells like actually smells a bit like apricot, um, but you know more Ooh. peachy, I would say, yeah, it's got a good peachy nose, almost like almost like peach pie, like a little bit of that like yeah cinnamony bite scent to it, um, clothing mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah yeah it um it's a it's a sour, but it's not um. Like mind bending leaf hour, it's not like some of those vis where you drink them, and like your mouth puckers up um, this is more of a more of a milder one, I think, because of the aging um, yeah, so mm-hmm. they say they, they describe this as being part of their um sort of experimental stuff that they do at the brewery um, and apparently, they do a bunch of different types of stuff like wild fermentation, barrel aging, different types of things and uh, this was one of the ones from 2017. So I bought it on a whim. There's this uh, place in town here in Iowa City that if, if you're from Iowa City, you, you will be familiar with this. It's called John's Grocery, but nobody who lives here calls it that. It's Dirty John's. And it's Dirty mm. John's because I think they were the first place in town to sell Playboy. Back in oh, 19th. that would be a great reason to call it Dirty, whenever- <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, Dirty John's. So Dirty John's is a oh, regular a grocery day. store. Um well, you know, in a town you hold on to things. Um and they just had their seventieth birthday party like two weeks ago, which was awesome. It was in their parking lot and all these um local places came together and had you know these little beer tastings from local breweries and they had a cake and food and it was it was really cute and it was free. You, know, you just like walked up and had some. Um so that was really nice. And they had a band, um Anyway, many things to love about John's, but uh, one of the things that I love about John's is that they have an amazing beer selection, an amazing wine selection, and they are just not free. Like they, if you go in and you say, like, "Look, I only have ten dollars to spend on wine, and I need it to taste really good," they're like, "Hey, no worries, we got you." Um, and <laughs> you have a bunch of money, they also got you. Um, so I tend to go to their beer section and just sort of stare. Um, until I see something that looks like something I've never had before or never heard of before and then I buy it. Um, so this is one of those things. I thought peach and pear sour, that sounds delicious. Uh, that is- and it is. I'll, I'll admit that the sour thing that's been going on and it's just it's growing as fast to me as the IPA um, surge of like, you know, the last five years, like IPAs have got stronger and stronger and crazier and crazier and like intensely that I feel like sours were once like just a little bit of a menu or a a very like I remember having a sour in San Francisco actually no Jolly Pumpkin is where I first had sour beers that I remember like I went out of my way to try sour beers So Jolly Pumpkin in Michigan well Jolly Pumpkin is it's in a few places am I right? it's from Michigan it is from Michigan okay So I had sour beers at Jolly Pumpkin, and then I've also had a number of, like, you know, um, European-style sours and things like that that are, you know, brought in, imported in. And I remember having sours at a couple breweries in the Bay Area, maybe about five, six years ago. And, again, they just were never super popular. They were always at the bottom of the menu, always, like, just for – they just did a keg, a small batch kind of situation thing um and it's just so big now and I'm not trying to be like look I was there first that's not what I'm saying it's just more of like a (laughs) I I've really enjoyed watching the sour beer phenomena because it's a lot of people who like ciders are getting into sours which is awesome and then on top of that is that it's not as alcoholic as IPAs um well and Everything is brewed to a certain degree. So sour could be as alcoholic as an IPA or a double IPA. I didn't say yeah. the, one, the one that I'm having because it's barrel-aged, you know, because yeah. the water evaporates. So you when it's barrel-aged, it always ends up being more alcoholic. But, yeah, on average, if you go to a bar and have a sour, almost it's a barrel-aged sour, it is going to fall more in that 5% range. So, it, you know, you don't have to worry that you're going to make a mess of yourself. It's like a step above a uh, Miller High Life. literally like a Miller mm-hmm. High Life is like four maybe four and a half and a sour could be around four and a half but at least you're getting like a ton of good flavor with it not to say Miller, so there's a time and a place Miller Highlight, Life Coors Light all those I am not hating on that whatsoever but if you wanted to have a beer to sip because you can't guzzle sour beers that's the other thing it kind of slows you down so I kind of like does, yeah for me, it does, too. So it's, I just think, personally, it's a really great beer to have when you're out with others so that you're not just, like, taking it to the head and losing your mind and calling an Uber after two. You're, like, enjoying <laughs> yourself. You're enjoying your night. I will say that there was a sour beer that I had recently in Iowa City, and I think it was from Iowa, and I, I won't say I feel bad talking about it, how Midwestern of me, but it was so sour that it it kind of ruined my night. I was rolling mm. high, rolling free. We were all hanging out together, and next thing I know, my tummy hurts. I, I know. Like, I know which one it was. I know which one it was, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was the Exile Beatnik Sour, and that one is sour. Like they don't, you know, make they don't any sense about that. No, um, but they do the same thing that um, Big Grove and probably a bunch of other places do too, which is that they have their um, their sour. Beer, which is their base. So for Exile, mm. it's the Beatnik sour, and for Big Grove, it's the Sidehill sour. And yeah. then what they do is they make fruit variations on that that are seasonal, which I love. I love that they, you know, take seasonal fruit, mix it up, and then it sort of uh, uh, got, it makes the sour more palatable. So what they do at Exile is they have, like, a, a bohemian guava or something like that, um, which is awesome. And then at Big Grove, they did um, – the the one of theirs that was my most favorite was the Passion Project. So they took their sour and added passion fruit, and it was
1: – Oh, gosh.
0: Even the dude at the barbecue place, like, the big dude who – you know, tells me to my face he really only drinks like light lagers Was like, you gotta try the passion project. Oh, that's so great. Uh I, I I feel like yeah, sour can sour can be good, but it can always be better with additional like flavor offerings or just a little bit more time or, you know, the barrel aging them, that also is really good. So I there's many ways to play it. I'm glad that people are exploring it. I'm curious yeah. what the next wave of beer, crash beer, will be. There's a part of me oh, that feels like... Oh, oh ooh, you sound like you have an idea. I do have an idea, but I want to hear what you're going to say. I kind of think it might go down the path of pilsners or wheat. Because I think that just like with all the spectrum, things will move a little that way. The other thing is like I think wheat might pick up again because Despite the gluten allergy, which is not all beers unless you're getting a gluten-free beer, there will be gluten. I think mm-hmm. i I think i I think I understand that correctly. But yeah. wheat beers again aren't as crazy alcoholic. You can again they continue to carry fruit flavors and do really interesting things, or you can even have like really interesting unfiltered wheat that have a little bit more of an IPA feel to them. You know, like I've had a lot of interesting things that are. You know more in that way, but they're sweeter, so I'm curious if that's where this next step to go. goes. The sour to go sweet that's my 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 wonder. But what is what's yours? I'm sorry, what did you say? I asked, What is your take? Where do you think your craft beer is going to go next? So I did not come up with this idea by myself. This is not my idea, but um, Ooh, okay, I was looking at. I was talking with somebody about um, different styles of beer, and somebody had asked me what a Kolsch is, and I really honestly didn't know, because every time that I'd ever had a Kolsch, it just sort of tasted like a light beer to me, and it was fine. You know, I never really thought a lot about it, Um, and then... I looked up some articles and it seems like over the last like four or five years more breweries have been willing to do Colches. And apparently I didn't know this, you know, the, a Kolsch is a lager as opposed to an mm-hmm. ale, like a wheat ale or something like that. And so um the lager process uh, takes a little bit longer than making an ale. And so mm-hmm. it's a little bit more difficult maybe, or at least you have to you have to plan more in advance and maybe uh, put out more financial outlay on a lager style beer than a an ale yeah. style. Um but basically I've seen a bunch of um places talking about how um they really like the the Kolsch brightness um and the flavors tend to be more delicate. Um, they're delicate enough that quite honestly I do have a hard time Distinguishing, you know, one colt from another. I'll be very honest with you, but uh, it seems like that's something that um, people are are thinking more about than they used to. Um, yeah, I'm gonna. So, I'm trying my hardest not to interrupt too much, but I will admit I had the peach colt. Hopefully, I'm saying that right. Colt, Colch? colt. Oh yeah, um, the peach colch from um, from Mill, like Mill or something. Mil-S3. Yeah, so I have that, and I really like that at your house because again, the hint of peach was—it's there upon opening the bottle, but you're not drowning in it. You know, like mm-hmm. they did. It doesn't taste like they pumped a bunch of peach syrup into something. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was a sugary. Do. Right. And I think that while I love Lining and Kugel, and I will have a Lining Kugel beer any day of the week, unless you're spotted cow, they're sorry, you've they wear us forever. Um, but <laughs> I love Lining Kugel. But Lining Kugel has really like saturated the market with their shandies and those are, you know, really half lemonade, half grapefruit juice, half, you know, whatever. Or it's like a, a wheat beer with berry essence or um, honey essence, like a lot of really strong sweets. Um, and those are really good. But I think that the culture is where my taste goes, because then I can still have it with other things like a berry vice. I can't drink alone anymore. That is a dessert beer to me now. Like, that is something I end on a strong note, and I'm done, nothing else. Um, and I used to drink them, like, like water. Like, I used to be totally that person. I was a child. It's fine. But, um, <laughs> I'm still, still a kid. But I have noticed that I have one out, and I bought another um, colch somewhere. I can't remember what kind it was, but I just bought one, and I think it was a peach one. I bought it here in Minneapolis, though, after I came to visit you. Oh, mm-hmm. I feel bad. I will, I will go back and and find out. I'll probably have one of those during our our recording session. And I also bought those peach ones. I bought two uh, six packs of that same peach called when I left Iowa City because I liked it so much. Oh, the Millstream yeah. one. That's cool. Yeah, I bought that. And then I also bought Sensational and Kiss from a Go, uh, Kiss from a Goose, a Goose. What is it? Is that you say? Oh, I haven't I had that one. It's a but goza, it, right? A it yeah. So kiss from a goza. Um, or goose. I've heard I've heard of both ways. I also just... Yeah, I don't... I'll just be honest. I don't really know how to I don't pronounce know. it. Probably when we're done recording, I will Google it and find out that everybody <laughs> is mispronouncing it, so... And then the other part of that is that is that's a sour style as well, so I should probably say that. The people know that. Um, and I forgot what brewery uh, that is all from, but again, it's another Iowa City one. Um yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you're right on the the cold thing. I've been seeing a lot more of that, especially in the summertime, um, because they are lagers and that's a little bit more drinkable. And they go really mm-hmm. well with those fruit flavorings. That is I take I you. I dig you on that. That is that might be really good. I also am curious if that will then jump start other lagers, like almost um Americana lagers. Like if that's gonna pick up in speed again, like jingling or anchor steam, those are all really that would be really interesting to me if they, if those pick up from that kind of push. Because they do take well, more time to brew. So Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, if uh if that happens, listeners, you heard it here first. And if it doesn't, well, we're just a podcast with, you know, like Three people who listen right regularly. <laughs> we don't have too much to live down. I feel like I should, I'm about to start listing off our, our listeners. Shout out to all of them. Um, Just be like <laughs> everybody. Right um, All right. Well, you and I can always talk lots and lots of beer. And I will admit my last trip to Wisconsin, you and I both were there this weekend for that wedding. I definitely stopped in Chippewa Falls, which is the land of Leinenkugel. And while there, I actually picked up more New, new Glarus than mining Kugel. I also happened to find a Michigan deer from the Upper Peninsula, which is by Short. It's called Oh, honey, that's not, the, that's not from the U.P. Oh, is that something of the U.P.? It's UK. from the it northern, northern part of the... Okay, northern Michigan. Excuse me. Let me oh, oh. I, you know what? You know what? This is a learning lesson for everybody. The I was going to say, let's edit this out, but nay. May I say, there is a world of difference between the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and the Northern Lower Peninsula of Michigan. And I think it's an accent. It's an accent. It is a lifestyle. (laughs) It is is the way of living and the way of seeing the world. And uh, I don't think that there's been a state that has wanted. be separated from the United States or from its own state more than the upper peninsula of Michigan. The fact that they have tried to annex themselves a few times says so much. (laughs) 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 And the fact that most people in the upper peninsula will identify with people of Wisconsin and Minnesota and Canada than they will Michigan. Mr. we'll say that like they are Packers fans. They are not Lions fans. Yes, I'm just put yeah. it out there. They will, they will prefer Green Bay over the Lions any day, and, and in in a fever, like it is. Maybe it's because the stadium's outside and it's a stronger group of people who are determined to, turn to party outside when it's thirty below. Maybe, maybe that's it. That's all. But uh, there's something very aligned there. It's really interesting. But anyway, so I do stand completely corrected that Shorts is from northern lower peninsula of Michigan versus the upper peninsula. Um, And that's what I get for reading really quickly and tell you about it (laughs) when I should have known better. Um, I was just really excited to say that I found a Michigan beer in Wisconsin, especially like, you know, far west Wisconsin, um, Kippwa Falls, but uh, it's a delicious blueberry beer. It's like a blueberry. Berry, it's like a berry um, essence. I think it's a wheat. It's, it's awesome. like it's a leaf. blueberry, blackberry, raspberry, something like that. It's called Soft Parade. It's high gravity, and yeah. my best memory of that beer because I I never had it before is um, one of our friends, Mike coming over after like later in a party when other people are already, we were having a barbecue or something and somebody had brought a six pack of soft braid to our house and mike opened the fridge and he's like oh somebody's trying to get laid because <laughs> that beer is secretly high gravity it's like nine and a half percent or something and it doesn't taste like it no okay. it, really. it is so dangerous and i definitely had to the other night and some other people in our It's house, an easy actually. mistake to make.
1: I have made that uh, mistake
0: myself. Oh, well, and at one point after having those two beers, I didn't have any more beers after that. As, you know, I had maybe four that day, but two of them were the the soft parade. Um, near the end of it, it was like midnight. I had to work in, on Monday morning, and I had to tell those the house guests. I was just like, they started to go into another story, and I was like, look, this beer is making you talk, and it's making me want to go to sleep. This is not going to work out. i got to go to bed. Sorry. Like, it just shut me down. Normally, when I drink, I'll be up past 1 o'clock. It doesn't matter. That's just how I am. I respond to beer that way. But I love talking, and I love doing, and I love, you know, exploring and d- diving into things. But now it makes sense. I was exhausted. <laughs> I was just like, and I'm done. I didn't feel out of control, but I could definitely tell I wasn't going to last long. <laughs> that was, that you- you you even have a good story about soft parade from uh, our trip to visit uh, dad where we went to the UP. Hmm. You remember this? I don't. But uh, well, maybe um maybe you weren't there. Maybe it was just me and Pat. But I feel like we were in Marquette, and hmm. we were we were definitely in Marquette when this happened. And I thought you were there, but maybe you weren't. Um, we were in Marquette. We had. We were taking Dad to Pictured Rocks National Monument, mm-hmm. and we went to this little restaurant, and Dad ordered, they had the soft parade in the form of a shandy, and oh. it was like a, almost like a nitro, so it was nice, it was creamy, it was delicious, and uh, we ordered, we each ordered our, our drinks and ordered our food, and of course the drinks came out first. And Dad hadn't been sure what he wanted to eat, so he just got the soft parade shandy, and he's having that. And the waitress came back out and asked him, you know, what he would like to have for dinner. And he just like held up his glass, and she was like, "Another oh. one of these." And I was like, "No, you need to eat actual food." Eat food. <laughs> oh, Dad! <laughs> mm. I'm going to go back on my old behavior, but not eat. <laughs> cool, great. Oh God, oh, I was to too. He does love a sweet, sweet drink. Oh speaking of sweet drinks, last last conversation about this. The brandy old fashioned. those Wisconsin treasure. I may not be drinking it right now, but I will not forget this wedding for giving us the largest old fashioned I've seen in recent history. Literally it's a party cup. It was a a solo cup size old fashioned so dangerous. And it was, diluted. Diluted. I mean, it was, it was not, um, I don't, it was not a standard old fashioned that you would get at a bar. Now it was a Wisconsin no. old fashioned. Yeah. And I feel like this is another major difference between what an old fashioned is everywhere else and what an old fashioned is in Wisconsin. Again, I am you know, I'm sure if we had this podcast in another state, we'd feel very much the same way about some other special things, you know, idiosyncrasy, uh, why did I try words? Yeah, I, that's the word. Yeah, I was like, why am I trying, am I trying words that are outside of my level, uh, my reading level? Anyway, uh, so a Wisconsin old fashioned is a brandy old fashioned that served sweet or sour, sweet being the preferred method, which involves 7-Up. Um, and I don't know if you know the story of this, but it was from a Chicago's World Fair in which uh, brandy was being supplied by, I think, Chandon. Like one of the major um, wineries. And they had poured old fashioned for the crowd, but did it with brandy instead of, you know, bourbon or, you know, whiskey. And people lost their damn minds. Us, Us Wisconsin people all came to Chicago for the big old show and they bought so much brandy that Wisconsin to this day is still the largest buyer of brandy. In the United States, if not, oh, yes, the North America, followed only by Iowa, which I find fascinating. That it's Wisconsin, then Iowa, and then I think it's Minnesota, and then Illinois. Like, it's just, just this section that was touched by the World Fair. Do they have their old-fashioned brandy sweet? And they also have Manhattan's brandy Manhattan sweet. But um, it just cracks me up, and it is such a thing. And everyone has old-fashioned mix behind the bars here, which I think is terrible. Like, I'm used to craft, you know, cocktail places that make old-fashioned, you know, mixing all of those ingredients, make, taking the time to do all these parts and pieces. is definitely poured. It's hilarious. Anyways, I still drank, like, maybe four. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. still oh, had four and had a lot of maraschino cherries. Um, <laughs> but anyways, I digress. Um, those are key. I mean, you can't have an old-fashioned without maraschino cherries. Yeah, you know, you could have those. Is it what is the the sense of an L? Luxardo. Luxardo. They're beautiful. They're delicious. They're delicious, but they go up but in they go in like a craft cocktail old fashioned. Right. So if you're having a brandy, old fashioned sweet, it has to be electric red, to shine in your red tinged cup of <laughs> whatever brandy you are having. Oh, it is a dream. It is really funny. I gotta tell you, uh, here's the funniest thing about the whole night, right? So this is a wedding where the staff are like the regular staff of the golf course, right? So they're they're women around the age of like 19, 20. They're just trying to get paid. They, they are not interested in making a craft cocktail. And awesome. one of our family members wanted a whiskey ginger, which I thought was a pretty normal thing. And that baffled the woman behind the bar, this this college girl, so bad. She was like, gin? And she brought out a bottle of gin. And I was like, no, no, not whiskey plus gin. God, no, we need a mixer in this somewhere. <laughs> so I had to explain to her, like, what the options for ginger were, like, ginger beer, ginger ale. Like, what do you got? She had nothing. So when I said brandy old-fashioned, She was, like, sweet or sour. Like, she knew exactly what I was talking about. She knew exactly what she needed to do. And that, when I was 21, was a drink nobody had heard of who was my age. I tried to order a brandy old-fashioned sweet on my 21st birthday, whatever it was, 16 years ago, and the kid behind the bar looked at me and was like, what? And I was like, you know what? Just make me a Cosmo. Everybody knows Sex in the City. Make a Cosmo. Just. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel yeah. like clearly we come from a different planet we really do um, the other thing I have to say about that is that there's there's cocktails that follow a generation like the cosmos cosmos are one thing seven and seven um, there's you know fuzzy navels all that stuff like it all follows someone of a certain year in which they graduated from high school I swear <laughs> to god so there's a certain drink for every year, and I would love for people to comment, um, or you can send a note. Maybe you don't want to say what year you graduated, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to realize I just was about to out some people, and that's not what I want to do. But I am kind of curious what the uh, where the alignment is on the year in which you graduated, and the cocktail that you dread hearing the most, and if you still hear your old like classmates order that at the bar, and it makes you wonder like. Are you doing this for old time's sake or are you do this because you never got on? You never moved on to something else and you're still ordering an appletini. What is it? <laughs> what is it? Yes. Oh, that's great. I definitely went out there. It's like in New Orleans, you know, you catch, <clears throat> excuse me, in New Orleans, you catch all kinds, right? You, you, you find the crosshairs of humanity all there. Everyone's there. And. I definitely was sitting next to this couple, and they were older than um, my boyfriend and I. They were in their 60s, and we were just talking with them all night because, again, in New Orleans, you meet everybody. You talk to everybody. It's no big deal. And this girl, she ordered, it was called, like, something fuck you up. Like, it was some crazy name, and it was an acronym, and I was like, what the hell does that stand for? And she said, something to something fuck you up, and it was blue. It was a bright blue cocktail, and it mixed a whole bunch of other weird things in there, and I was like, you drink this you, you drank this. You're 60. Like, it was this, it blew my mind. I was like, this girl, she might have partied at Daytona Beach on spring break. I feel it. I could just feel it. This is something she really <laughs> loved. And it immediately made me think, she's probably really, she's probably really into the culture of Hawaiian tropics. She probably had yep. a bright, bright colored swimsuit. She probably was the color of a baseball glove at one point. She's great now. She's fine. But it's just, she chose this. I mean, she probably loved Kokomo by Beach Boy. Probably, like there was just all these things started coming together because of what, the color of the drink and what she ordered. It was incredible. Um, anyway, oh, she didn't choose Lisa. that life. That life chose her. <laughs> clearly, clearly, and she didn't have to change her life. She didn't have to change okay. her life because she continued to order it and had to explain it to every bartender. Kind of amazing. She was so used to explaining it because you know bartenders are all different ages, all different places, and. Yeah, to go through like this, 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 this and I was like, Oh my gosh. This is something. Anyway, okay. We spent a lot of time on this is uh what the new sure did. But, but I've heard from people that it's sometimes their favorite part of our podcast. So just saying. You're welcome. Well then. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's get down to the meat of it though. What's your work in progress? My work's in progress. Um I am I'm actually really pleased with the thing that I decided to work on uh, this week. So I I was considering, you know, I get these emails from companies when they're doing, uh, from Indie Dyers particularly, when they're doing shop updates. So I get emails from, uh, I signed up for emails from the Plucky Knitter and Space Cadet and uh, Barrett Wool Company, and there are all these independent yarn producers that I wanted to have emails from them because I wanted to know when they were updating so I could purchase the things that I wanted. Um, And that's lovely, except when you have a budget, uh, which I do. And I (laughs) realized that uh, last month I was over budget, and not just because of purchasing yarn, but because I'd done other things with my finances and I had to rein it in. So... I decided to go back and look through my stash to see what I'd already bought during previous times when I was not so restrained um, that I really hadn't done anything with. And I had this skein of um, Madeline Tosh EK Twist. So it's a 100% superwash wool yarn um, that is a sort of like a medium weight Um And I think you can only buy it from the Madeleine Tosh website. I don't think that you can generally get it from stores. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I've only ever seen it on the Madeleine Tosh website. Um, And it's a pretty reasonably priced yarn for uh, being hand-dyed, as all of the stains of Madeleine Tosh are. They're all Mm hand-dyed. And what had happened was that I... um, I was like two or three years ago, I decided to buy myself a birthday present and I bought myself a sweater's quantity of this yarn in a color called Cosmic Silver. So it's a cool toned gray that has speckles of very bright colors all over it. So you get the vibe of having really bright colored stuff, but the sweater overall is still gray. So you can still wear it with a lot of different things. I made it into a crop cardigan. Uh, that's called Tambourine, which is um, from by Julia Farwell Clay, and it's been an older issue of Pom Pom Quarterly, as pretty much everything I knit is. Um, so in the process of buying that yarn, which was very practical, it was, like I said, gray, and clearly was going to be able to worn, be worn with a lot of different things, I was looking through the website, and I found a colorway that was like, My Technicolor Lisa Frank dreams, and I couldn't. (laughs) I couldn't keep myself from buying it. Like I kept going back to it, and I was like, "Oh, I can't buy a full sweater's quantity of that yarn because um, I'll never be able to wear it with anything." Uh, (laughs) But I don't care. May or may not be true, but I I really felt uh, nervous about buying a huge amount of it. But I couldn't buy none of it because you know it was like. Everything that I loved between the ages of probably 7 and 10, like this really hit all of that for me. Like the late 80s, it it really hit all of it. So the color is called Electric Rainbow. Um, And it's actually a color that I think ended up coming out as like a regular color of theirs a few years later. So I think sometimes on the Madeline Tosh website, they try colors that they're wondering if people will be into. And then if it does really well, then it becomes something that's a little more widely distributed. So the color is there's really no background color to it, but I would say that the predominant color is a green, like a turquoisey green, which is the green mm-hmm. that leans a little bit blue, and then it's got a lot of speckles of pink and like highlighter yellow and black. So. And the, there's enough black that it actually looks like the black might, might be one of the background colors. I don't think it is. I really think the green is the predominant one. But you get the, the feeling is that it it's all over the place. Like, it, it's loud. It's real loud. Um, and I love it for that. And so mm-hmm. what I decided to do with it is I also decided not. I was not going to buy a new pattern. I was going to go back through all of the patterns that I have already bought or had given to me and find something that would work with it. And what I found was a pattern called Desert Warrior, and it's a, a pattern for both um, elbow-length uh, fingerless gloves, as well as, um, I guess they're called uh, baunt- oh, leg warmers, yeah. So leg warmers and these gauntlets uh, or fingerless gloves. And I decided to make the fingerless gloves because I will actually wear them. Um, so it's just like a plain fingerless glove. There's nothing special on the hand. And then as it goes up the arm, there's, there's a ribbing detail. And on the front, it kind of looks almost like, like ribs on a skeleton. It's that type of mm-hmm. pattern up the arm. And since the yarn is really variegated, you don't see the pattern really clearly, but you see it enough that it's... It's got some visual interest, and it breaks up the stripes of color in the variegated yarn, so it doesn't just look like stripes. It actually looks like chunks of color, which I think is nice. Um, mm-hmm. So the pattern is by uh, a woman named Ellen Gill, and it's in a book called Doomsday Knit, um, which is edited <laughs> by a it, – it's really great. It's from the now defunct cooperative press. Um but Cooperative Press was this really interesting um book company. I'm pretty sure it's defunt, I'll check on that. But um basically they functioned under the idea that uh designers needed to be paid for the work that they did. Um, and they tried very hard to um make books um with designers in mind. Um so, yeah, well, I don't know. I'm looking at it now and it's not saying that it's defunct, so maybe it's just maybe they've changed their their business model, but I've heard somewhere that they were not necessarily producing as much as they were before, but anyway. Um, the Doomsday Knit book is wonderful and hilarious. Um, it has a little um, sort of map in the front where you can uh, answer a series of questions and find out what type of apocalypse you are currently in, and that will tell you how to respond. Either it's zombies and you need to kill them in a certain way, or it's um, a bioengineering disaster, and so you have to hide out. Um, And then they basically have the patterns organized by the garment that you would wear for that particular apocalypse. Which I think is hilarious. So these like, ones wow, are part of involved. <laughs> yeah, it's super it's, involved and really wonderful. Um right. and it's actually edited by a designer from Michigan, Alex Dinsley. Um, so mm-hmm. the the desert warrior gauntlets are part of the global warming section, which is both <laughs> funny and um unfortunately, very realistic. Um yeah. yeah, so so that's that's what I'm making currently. So I've got one finish. I had to modify it a bit because I don't know there's something about the way that I'm knitting it that just makes it you knit know, up not quite exactly to pattern. But um mm-hmm. you know, I basically like, took away some stitches to make it fit my hand a little bit better. Um but yeah, yeah. uh I'm I'm literally halfway through that I have finished one I have um passed on for the other one. And then uh, I am halfway through – no, I'm more than halfway through now. I've gotten back onto knitting my EDT by Michelle Wong because it was good car knitting on the way to the wedding, um, essentially. Right. Nice. It was something that was easy to do, whereas the, the gauntlet um, required double-pointed needles, which can sometimes slide out of your work, which is bad. Um and I, just, and I needed to read the pattern. Yeah, so um, knitting needles, most people, when they sort of imagine knitting needles, they imagine people knitting with two very long, straight needles. Mm-hmm. And those needles usually have a little, um, I guess, the, a thicker piece on one end so that your knitting doesn't just slide right off the other side. Right. <laughs> and that's the, right. the typical knitting needle. Um, When you are knitting in small circumferences, um, it's much more helpful to have – actually, I don't even know how you could do it on straight needles. Um, It's helpful to have what are called double-pointed needles, which means that there's no stopper on either end of the needle. And so they kind of look like you're knitting on chopsticks in a way. mm -hmm. Um, And I like them for knitting in small circumferences. I was going to say that um, a lot of people, prior to using um, connected needles or double-pointed needles is what you're saying, they would use a third needle. Is that correct? Like, what well, are so people? the connected needles are circular needles. Oh, that's not double-pointed. I see no. what you're saying. One's pointed on either end, and therefore it yes. will slide right out. I'm etching your dress now. Okay. Every day is a school day. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, a lot of people do not like uh, double-pointed needles because, obviously, they are double-pointed. There's nothing to prevent your your work from sliding right off. Um, now, if you're um, making socks or something, the needles are usually long enough that it's actually pretty easy to keep the yarn on the needle. Um, but you know, it can be, it, it takes a little getting used to, and you do have to kind of get over the anxiety of not having some protection there to keep things from sliding around. Um, I actually started, the very first thing I ever knit was on double-pointed needles. Um, I practiced, <laughs> you know, that's me, I just sort of figure, well, I'll do the hardest thing possible, and if I still like it, then probably I'll stick with it. Um definitely so not that what I happened, have. but <laughs> what happened was that I actually asked a good friend of mine, Jaquetta, um, who knit what she would recommend. So I wanted to start knitting, and I wasn't sure what to buy, and she gave me really good advice, which I will share with you here, which is that um you should buy good quality yarn. You know, don't buy really, really cheap acrylic because... If you buy something that doesn't feel good to knit with, you will probably not love the process of knitting. Um, And she pointed out very correctly. Yeah, exactly. Um, And she pointed out very correctly that good quality wool yarn does not have to be expensive. Um, Lion Brand wool yarn is very affordable. Um, It is 100% wool, and it comes in a variety of thicknesses. So. Um, and it's available at like Joann Fabrics and stuff like that. So you do not need to spend a lot of money to get a good quality wool yarn. Um, and she recommended buying um, needles that were um, thick enough that it wouldn't feel difficult to manage them. So she suggested you know size eight needles, which works really well with a standard Lion Brand worsted weight wool yarn. That's what I bought, and I practiced. Basically knitting a scarf that I had no intention of ever wearing or using, but just kind of practicing the stitches, so I'd practice something and then I'd rip it out and practice something else and rip it out um, and once I felt comfortable with that, then I found a an easy pattern for fingerless gloves which calls for double point needles and explained it explained it explained how to use <laughs> double pointed needles um and so that's what I did. So that's why the first the first official project that I ever started and finished was on double point needles. But I had practiced on straight needles before that. Um I just hadn't kept anything that I had made that way because it was really just for practice. Got it. All right. I mean, you went to eleven on your first project, but I understand that you also had a lot of starters prior that's to true. So you're not like completely diving in deep right away. You, no, you some, no. You have some some initials. <laughs> you have some other ideas first. So yes, that's not yes. that's not so bad. But still, it's still a challenge. Like I would say in general, knitting is a challenge. Doing something with double pointed needles, you know. But, yeah, it's going to take some effort and some time. Another pe you know, some patience. <laughs> but yeah. So is is that all your project? Are in it is in work at the moment? All right. It is. Well, I, I saw you post on Instagram car knitting, so that's why I was like, ooh, what you working on? For sure. Yeah, the car knitting was the e e t Got it. Yeah, and I think you also posted the uh, the gauntlet earlier that week, so. I did. That makes sense. Yeah, so better good. Um, let's see. Work's in progress for me. Um Myself, I am a wonderful project in work. Uh, no, I'm just kidding um I actually had a major line review for um the company that I work for. We were doing our spring line review, and I work in denim, so my lead times are a little sooner and earlier than say sportswear which when I say sportswear, anything that isn't denim um generally falls into that bucket, but denim, outerwear sweaters those all have a really long lead time due to our materials. And our details, so mm-hmm. we generally have to have our line reviews before everybody else. So, yeah. So I had my line review; it went really well. But it is oh, best I can say is that it's a marathon, not a sprint. So when you're like, oh, okay, I got my, I have my line review today. That's one meeting. That's really just like one, one leg of the uh, the race. And I am currently nearing the end of of my tour de France or something. You know, like it's just, it's it's multiple legs, lots of challenges. It's all good and it's all very good and it's gone great, but it's just been, um, you know, time consuming. And all yeah. of my creative energy and power has gone through it. <laughs> so here right. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I am. Yeah, uh, sadly, I don't have any projects for this week, but. We do have one project a feature from a listener. We do. And actually, that's way more important. It's very, very cool. Uh, do you want to kick it off? Because I know that you understand what she was talking about in full, um, you, you can definitely speak to it well. So, please. Sure, sure. So, um, one of our listeners and good friend, um, Eileen, um, had contacted us uh, a couple months ago asking kind of what we thought we would recommend for leftover tape yarn. So, tape yarn is... Um, Yarn, that instead of being a single, um, kind of like a rope or string of yarn, is actually woven into a tube that's flattened out. Um, And it it tends to be really, really fine strands that are kind of woven into a collapsible tube. And so it's called tape because it's almost like a ribbon. Yeah. And... um, it can be a little bit difficult to figure out exactly what to do with it, because it's not suitable for every project, and it's not suitable for every um, knit stitch or crochet stitch, and so, um, you know, she had, well, she had had some leftovers, and that's even more difficult to work with, because it's not, um, you may not necessarily know how much is in the leftover ball, like, you've done whatever project you're going to do, and now you have some leftovers, and you can estimate how much is left, but sometimes it's Uh, difficult to estimate and sometimes it's just uh not enough to quite know exactly what to do with it so yeah if you knit knit a certain way you might knit or crochet a certain way you might eat through the yarn faster or slower and it's again right is hard right yeah exactly yeah so she said she had um these, this leftover cape yarn and it's from um, wool in the gang which is a great yarn company um, based in the UK and what she has left over was their Tina cape yarn and the website has a lot of pattern ideas but they generally call for more yarn than what she had and understandably you know you don't necessarily want to buy more just so that you can make a certain project you might just want to use up what you have and so what she had decided to do was to make a um, it's almost like a clutch or a notions pouch. So it is a a um rectangular um purse and she installed a zipper on the top and uh she didn't design it entirely by herself but she used that pattern from Ravelry and modified it a bit to, to match what she liked. She used uh the star stitch, which is a crochet stitch that um just looks like a, a beautiful star basically and she just repeated that all around the the bag, um, and it looks lovely, and I was just so excited to see that she was able to make something um, functional and beautiful from her leftovers, uh, which I think is, just a, it's awesome whenever that happens, whenever you have um, this this creative urge and the resources that you have to hand are able to meet your needs, right, so you don't have to go out and buy more stuff or Oh, you know, I think that's the most fulfilling the feeling. Have. <laughs> it really is. So fulfilling. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like a champion. The other thing I'll say is that there we've talked about this in our earlier episodes. I think it might have been episodes two or three where we talked about the guilt of making a project for yourself. And mm-hmm. there's, you know, you always feel like you have to make something for somebody. And then there's these times where you just really want to make something for yourself, but you're like, oh, this is a skill. This is something I can share. And you know, and sometimes you just unabashedly are like, No, I'm making this for myself and this is one of those things where like, yeah, this would be a cool gift to give somebody, but it's definitely driven from you and you alone to make these leftovers work. So I think that's it's awesome. And when you come up with something that you love, I mean already Eileen had stuff in it. She's in the photo that she sent us, it was really cool. So I'm hoping that she'd be okay with us featuring her work, uh, in our Instagram. But I think yeah. I think it would be great to show how easy it was for her to not how easy it was, definitely work, but how she translated um, some options that we all discussed together, you know, and just, you know, discussed on this podcast. And she made something really cool that was beyond what we imagined. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Um, and I like the contrasting zipper and just the whole shebang. It was just, it was fantastic. So, yeah. yay, I mean, Yay, I Eileen, mean, killing it. Um, oh, that is awesome. That That does warm my heart in a big, big way. Well, I, w- I think we should definitely, we'll share that on our on our Instagram and blog, but I also think it's time to give out some gold stars. What do you say? It is. It is. Um, this one, where am I going to, I'm going to give a shout out and a gold star to my friend Shabrina. I feel like this is, I'm giving out a personal shout out and it's to the powers of distance, the powers of connection over distance. Um, Basically, I had a really crazy week last week doing my line review, and the week before that, um, this friend of mine, and she's kind of like a friend of a friend of a friend, like we all kind of know each other, and she's out in Los Angeles, and she's a really gifted um, spiritual advisor, psychic, healer, like she's just all many things, and she reads cards, she's... Connected to spirit, she's very much herself and strong with it. Um, and out of nowhere, last uh, two weeks ago, like a week and a half ago, she texted me when I needed it most, and just said, "Hey, I don't know why I want to, you know, connect with you, but just want to say you're doing great and you're doing great, and I know you're doing great." And it was just so reassuring. That's all she had to say. It was just a friendly, awesome message. And it had uh, it had some other parts of that that are, that are really cool, but I'll just say reaching out and telling someone, hey, thinking about you, goes so much further and farther than any chocolate chip cookie we'll buy yourself or any other um, you know, having a beer after work, or, you know, all the things that we treat ourselves with, what that sounds like things I treat myself with, or, you know, or binge watching television, or you know, the good feels that we get from doing a lot of things that are very common, but reaching out and just telling somebody, hey, I'm thinking about you, or hey, I bet you're doing great. Like, not even just saying, not just saying, like, hey, are you doing okay, but saying, I bet you're doing awesome. Am I right? Like, it's just so much faith in what you do and how you're going about your day. And it was just really, um, it was surprising. And it's been staying with me for two weeks now. That's just uh, the power of a text message. So it's kind of reminded me that any time now that I'm thinking about somebody, Positive, negative, <laughs> whatever. um, Hopefully not negative. But if I am, you know, if it's a feeling of concern or something, maybe I don't say I'm concerned about somebody, but I could just say like, "Hey, I'm thinking about you," or "Oh, I miss you." And you know, we have friends all over the world. Globalization is real. Like we're all in lots of different places now. We don't all stay close to home. Um, but it can just really lighten up someone's day. And it's one of the cheapest things we can do is to text somebody that. Um, and I wrote out a bunch, and it. Her text message inspired me to actually get uh, cards for a couple of people that I love and send those along the way, too, it just it stuck with me in a lot of different ways. So that's a long-winded, really personal thing, but my gold star is for Sabrina because she kind of swooped in right when I was just deep in my work, not in a bad place, but just deep in it. And it was so refreshing to hear from someone I hadn't heard in a really long time um, who has no investment other than just to say hello. And it was so cool. I just love that. That's great. Yeah. That's my gold star. What's yours? Uh so mine is um kind of a gold star for the whole month. So um June is Pride month. Mm-hmm. And I have I have just really loved um participating in the local Iowa City Pride activities. Um, as well as seeing, like on Instagram and Facebook, mostly Instagram, honestly, because I, I spend more time there. Um, just seeing how how pride has changed over time, and how mm. it has it has always been, I think, something that people wanted to have feel inclusive, and like all human endeavors, it has not always succeeded. And I think that this year, more than any of the years I've seen before, I feel like. People are really um, vocally taking their place as people of, um, you know, gender fluidity or um, people who are trans, people who are um, trans people of color. You know, the, the, the groups of people who traditionally are not necessarily included in our visual representations of pride or, you know, that we don't even necessarily talk about as being marginalized because we don't even you know, as a nation necessarily acknowledge that they exist. Um, mm. And I think this year I feel like um, a lot of places have done a lot better and that's it's wonderful. So this year was the, the first year that I've gone to Iowa City Pride, obviously, because I haven't lived here um, before this year, um, except when I was in grad school. And I think I did not know that, like when I was in grad school, I think my head was buried in the lab, and I didn't realize that these events were happening. But this year was Iowa City's, like, 48 pride. Oh, that's awesome. It's yeah. been going on for a very long time. <laughs> um, and so this year I saw a bunch of people wearing um, trans flags. I saw a lot of people just kind of out and about and celebrating not only who they are but who everybody else is. Um, yeah. the, the, um, one of the culminating events was a, uh, drag show that had, uh, drag kings, drag queens, um, people from, um, RuPaul's drag race, one of whom is a trans woman who is a drag queen. Um, and there's been some controversy about how RuPaul has responded to trans women or, um, even cisgender women, um, working as drag queens, but, uh, you know, at the Iowa City Pride Fest, um, everybody was welcome. Everybody was on stage. Everybody seemed to be represented um, and welcomed in their representations of themselves. Um, a lot of kids got up on stage and got to perform with drag queens, which was wonderful. Um, and I felt like uh, it was just I. I felt like it was just sort of a universally wonderful experience, and it was great to see that's my gold star. Oh the people people star. reaching beyond their own personal boundaries to try to understand how somebody else lives and to you know embrace that. I thought that was great very very cool. I agree with that, and I think that there's also um coming from the coast. You know, just after living in California for so long, we get this complex that we do Pride better. Than else. <laughs> Having seen San Francisco Pride, I'm not going to argue with you about that, really. No, it, I'm going to say that San Francisco Pride is ground zero, the best. It is the best. It is the best place to go. Maybe ground zero is not the right word I want to use, but it's like it's the it's the start. It's the best place. But I will say that it has become so much more um, accepted, branded, out there, marketed for the entire community and every family, that there's places, you know, that I kind of didn't always expect to have big pride celebrations, but I'm seeing pride parades in almost every major city, every capital city in every state there is something that has happened and it's really, really refreshing. I'm, it is a world of difference just 20 years has made. And um, there's the fact that there's now a large discussion around rainbow washing, you know, like Mm -hmm. retailers and other um, organizations and everyone's stepping out to be a part of this now and, I can totally understand a community being frustrated with that. Um, Absolutely understand that. Um, And I currently see it as a side of it's awesome that that's even a problem now. Do you know what I mean? People are talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. People are talking about it. The fact that this is, you know, that there is more, yeah, there's just so much more conversation that people are looking for opportunities to be involved. I may not like how everyone gets there, but I'm happy that there are people involved, more people than ever. So I think it's pretty cool. Awesome uh, gold star! I love your gold star. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Well, that Sorry. does it for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. This is this is this is, a, this is a long one. I realize. I'm looking at it. I don't. I'm looking at the time on this one. We went long, but our what was in our cup was very important because we went to our homeland. So it's true. <laughs> we can't. Well, almost not. So we can't. We can't deny these things. Um. Yeah. Um. Sorry. Take it away. Let's go. So thank you all for listening. Um. You can find us on Instagram as uh, Stitchcraft Sisters. Um. And you can also find us online as stitchcraftsisters.com dot com. Um. We do have a Ravelry group in case anybody wants to look for it. Stitchcraft Podcast. Um. And you can also find me on Ravelry as We of Fury. No, that's me on Instagram. You can find me on Ravelry <laughs> as Trouble City. Um, yeah, so feel please feel free to leave a comment for us on our Instagram. That's probably the most active thing for us. We also look for comments all the time on our uh, website, so please do leave comments there. Um, the nice thing about leaving comments on the website is that they don't become public unless we make them public so You know, if you have a private question you want to ask, that's where you ask it. Um, And it would be great also if you could leave us a review on iTunes so that um, when people are looking for podcasts of this type, they find us. Yay. Do that, please. This is free. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I will take it from here and say good night. All right. Good night. Yay! Bye. Bye. I love you.